Well, good morning. Everybody ready to get into the word, the word of God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Why don't we take out our Bibles? We're going to need all the time that we have this morning to dig in. And I don't know how many of you need an encouraging word today, but I got one for you. And also, especially to all of our sisters here today. So all the ladies, this one's for you. This is, yeah, praise God. We're going to give a little encouragement there as we study an amazing woman of God by the name of Deborah. Yeah, maybe you all know about her. So let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Judges chapter 4, verse 1. If you could take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, we can begin. We are in part three of our Identity in Crisis series through the book of Judges. And I just want to remind you that we are in the year of identity. Yeah, you all knew that. Yes, in the year of identity. And we, we talk about identity being who are we in light of who he is. If God says that we are children of God, then that is what we are. And that we have infinite value, that we have purpose, that he has love and grace and forgiveness and joy and peace. All these things are true for us that we lock down in our identity. It means that no matter what else the the world is trying to say to us, we know who we are. That's what we're trying to do is lock that down. That we know that we are sons and daughters of God. I would say that some of us have well-formed identities in Christ and some of us are still growing, right? But I'd give you, let me give you the fill in the blank there in front of you. Let me tell you this. A clear identity allows an instant response. A clear identity allows an instant response. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Jesus in the desert temptation. Y'all remember that story? That right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. The devil gives him one temptation after another. The first one is what? Turn these stones into bread. Another one he gives them is jump down off this and and as the father sends his angels to rescue you, not only will you be affirmed, but everybody's going to be so impressed. The third one is I'll give you all this stuff. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You don't have to do the cross thing. You don't have to do the pain thing. I'll give you everything you want. I just need you to bow down before me. You remember that? Now, you notice that Jesus did not say, huh, those are great points. Let me go back and consider that. Man, I haven't really thought through those before. What was his response? It was an instantaneous response. No, we are not doing that. If my father put me here and the Holy Spirit led me here that I might be fasting for 40 days, then that which is difficult for me is on purpose. I don't need to bypass that and make myself feel better. So I'm not doing that. I'm into what my dad wants me to do. If you're going to try to tell me I need more affirmation or more approval or to impress people, I don't need to do that. I only do that which I see my father doing, so that's not going to work. And if you think that I'm going to bow down before you, if you really think that I'm going to cave and give up my kids just to have it easier for myself, you don't know who you're talking to. So let me remind you very clearly what the word says. It says no. 
right? Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew who his father was. And because of that, because of that firm identity, he was able to fire back a response whenever temptation came up. If we do not have a firm foundation, if we do not have a well-formed identity in Jesus Christ, it will lead to confusion and compromise. Because when the enemy comes up, he will present something to us, and then we're going to start pondering it and wondering about it, and maybe I should, and then we begin to lose. We need to know who we are. We're about to talk about the cycle once again of the nation of Israel during the period of the judges, where things are doing great for them, and they just start kind of going off, being disobedient, living it up in sin. And then sure enough, God says, we're not doing that anymore. So he raises up an enemy that comes in and starts wrecking their fun. And he starts making their outside match their inside. They then cry out to him, God, we can't handle it anymore. So he raises up a deliverer. They set them free. They praise God for a very short amount of time. The minute they're doing good again, They're back into disobedience and the cycle starts all over again. We have only been in this series, this is the third week, and we already see the pattern well established, yeah? All right. Well, once again, it happens, and once again, God raises up a mighty warrior of God. Here we go, Judges chapter 4, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil. In the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Now y'all remember Ehud, that's the guy that that stabbed the big man, right? Y'all remember this. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. A paraphrase all the way through verse 3. The commander of his army was a guy named Sisera. Jabin had the political authority. Sisera had the heart of the people. He was the warrior for their team, the bad team. Verse 3. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he, meaning Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. What's the deal with the iron chariots? Well, here's the deal. When you have all your weapons taken away by the enemy, and you only got a little bit of swords or stuff that you can find, and they have iron chariots that are vehicles of warfare, it's not a fair fight, right? There is nothing you're going to do to get free from the big bad guys if they got stuff like that. I mean, it's absolute advantage. So for 20 years, they have been lost in, I can't change my situation. Lord, this is bad. Our leaders are not just, are not just unwise they are cruel and so they began to get a little bit uh frustrated scared crying out but but i want to ask this question after ehud which we covered last week they had the longest period of peace in all the time of the judges they had 80 years of freedom you would think that after 80 years two generations In that day, they would call 40 years a generation. In two generations of blessing from God, you would assume that he had won over their hearts. So how are we back into the same pattern of disobedience and rebellion and wickedness? 
Because isn't that what we always say to God? God, if you would only make things easier for me, I would serve you more. I mean, right? Isn't that the whole thing? Lord, if you would just take away all this stress, I'd be able to pray more. God, if you would only help me out financially, I'd be able to serve you more. God, if you would only, right? I mean, we have all these things set up that God, if you would take away that which is difficult, then I would truly live for you. And then he gives us all this freedom and we're not using it for that. We're using it for us. One commentary said it this way. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. He said, there is a big difference between religious reformation and spiritual revival. There's a big difference between religious reformation. In other words, causing a lot of life change because of pressures. You can do that in a church relatively easy. You can use guilt, you can use shame, you can use fear. You can force people to change their outward behavior, but that is not internal spiritual revival. We have always chased for at Bridgeway true internal transformation. We are not interested in merely you looking good on the outside. We don't want you merely to do good to your neighbor because you feel like you have to. We want you to be good to your neighbor because it's just who you are. You all understand what I'm saying? We don't need religious reformation as much as we need spiritual revival. We need our hearts to be different. We need... We need to think differently, believe differently. You know, there are a lot of temptations in this world that get me. I mean, there's a lot of temptations in this world that are a tough one on me. And then there's a few that really aren't. There are some that I'm like, sorry, ain't got nothing there. And the enemy is like, I'm not even going to bring that one up, right? I mean, it's just like... I mean, you know, there's certain things that, that maybe you've walked through, right? And the enemy is somehow taking you down in that area. And then, and you know you can't even be around it because it has some type of grab on you. There, there's stuff that I just, I don't struggle with because that's not, it's never been opened up in my heart. Like, for example, let's say I go over to your house. We're going to put it in your house, not my house. Let's say, let's say that I go over to your house and there's heroin on the table. I don't know how it got there. I didn't. It's not my house. It's your house. There's heroin on the table. I don't, I wouldn't even know what to do with it. I don't, that's not my world. That's not what I've done. I have no attraction to it whatsoever. And so I just kind of move on. I mean, there's not an allure, right? Because that never got opened up in my spirit. But there's some of you... That that's a game changer. The minute you walk in there, boom, everything ends. It wrecks the whole time. And now everything is constantly looking over it, looking over it, looking over it, right? That kind of thing. Well, wouldn't it be awesome is if all the sin temptations didn't have any pull? Right? Where you didn't have it woken up in your spirit. You could walk where you wanted to walk. You had total freedom. You could have whatever dialogue. You get into whatever situation. And you just had victory. I mean, that's what we're looking for. Where we actually want to do what Jesus wants us to do. It's not a matter of going, yeah, Lord, I know you want me to do that. I really want to do this. That, there, where there's not that tension. 
More and more spiritual revival is what we're looking for. Where we actually want different things. Verse 4. Now Deborah, her name means honeybee. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of a dude with a stupid name that means torches. Was judging and leading Israel at that time. Verse 5, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah in the hill country of Ephraim and the people of Israel came to her for judgment. All right, let me tell you about this woman. This woman is awesome. She is a leader of the people. She is the current authority in Israel. If you want to know what God's word is, if you want to know about wisdom, if you want to know about how to understand disagreements between landowner rights, you would go to Deborah. She even had her own tree. That's awesome. I wish I had a tree. She would just sit down under this tree and people would come from everywhere just to glean wisdom from her. What she said goes. She was running Israel. It says that she was a prophetess. A prophetess, that's a, that's an office of a prophet for a woman. There are, there, she's not the only one. There are a number of prophetesses in scripture. And what it means is they're the ones that are the primary channel by which God speaks to his people. Before we had the word of God, it was the only way you got to hear anything from the Lord. And you got to imagine if you were just hanging out and you had no way to know what God said last time. I, And you just always waited. Is there a prophet? Is there a prophet? If the prophets weren't speaking, God wasn't speaking. Now, I believe today in the gift of prophecy, I believe that God not only has spoken in the past, I believe he's speaking in the present. I think he's speaking in the future. And we still need people desperately seeking, God, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Uh, And if that is a gift that you have, I need you to hone that and mature that and grow in that. Because we at Bridgeway desperately always want to know what is God saying. Now, everybody has the ability as a child of God to hear the voice of God. Now, it's nice when you have a gift for it, right? And you would assume that, man, it would be, it would be super cool if you had a gift because you always think that the gift makes everything instantaneous and easy. It does not, right? Wouldn't it be kind of nice if you did have the gift of prophecy and God just spoke about everything, right? Lord, there are two deals at McDonald's. There's two for five, Lord. And there, right? What makes most financial sense, Lord? And then I've spoken. It is the filet of fish, right? I mean, that'd be awesome. That's not how it works. I would imagine that Deborah's life is characterized by abiding in God. I would suggest that she spends her every day clearing stuff out and just listening and listening and listening. So she hears from him. She's a wife. She calls herself the mother of Israel. And she's a leader. All right. So God speaks and says something. So take a look at verse 6. So she sent and summoned a man by the name of Barak. It means lightning. He's from the tribe of Naphtali. 
I'll paraphrase uh, a little bit forward. And said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? I want you to go gather your men, go down to the end of the verse 7, and I will give him into your hand. God said, I need you to go to war, I need you to set us free, and I will give you victory. That sounds pretty clear. You would assume that Barak is like, right on, I'm ready to go. But just because you hear the voice of God, that's only 50% of the battle. Now you've got to do something about it. Right? Just because God said, hey... I'm going to give you victory. You're going up against insurmountable odds. You could lose not only your whole team, you can lose your life. What's Barak going to do? Because he's hearing God through someone else. So he has a choice to make. Is he going to follow through in faith that indeed God is speaking to him? Is he going to hang in there and put everything on risk? Is he going to go to war? Well, verse 8, Barak said to her, I will go if you go with me. But if you will not go with me, I'm not going. Now, is he just a wimp? Because, I mean, there's a couple ways to look at this. The dude's either wimpy or wise. I can't figure that one out yet. I'm leaning towards wimpy, but I'm not sure. Because here's why. It could be wisdom that if if someone is so close to God, they're connected in, they hear the download, you got to go to war, you might need more information from them later. Right? You don't want to just go off old information, go into the warfare. What if God's like, oh, and by the way, you're like, Deborah, you got to go with me. you got to hang out with me. you got to be with me. Because if you're tracking with God, I'm smart enough to know this is not my battle. I mean, if God's not fighting for us, we're going to lose this. So I need my lifeline to God. Maybe it's wisdom. Now, she's going to embarrass him and say, God's not proud of you in this way. So I'm leaning towards Wimpy, right? I'm leaning towards him going, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't doing it. Right? Now, here's the other thing I I, want to highlight. Deborah's not the warrior. Once again, different parts of the body have to work together. Just because she's the judge, just because she's the wisdom, just because she is the leader, just because she is the prophetess, does not mean she has to do everything. She doesn't have to jump in there and go, and strap on the sword and attack, right? You know, she doesn't have to do that. There's other people to do that. Barack was the fighter guy. She was the wisdom piece. All right. So what's she going to do? Because right at this point, if he goes, well, I'm not going to go. If you're not going to go, she's going to go, fine. I'm not going. That ain't my job. It's not my job description. Okay, look at verse 9. And she said, yeah, I'll surely go with you. But nevertheless, the road on which you're going is not going to lead to you looking good. Just letting you know, man. For the Lord will sell Sisera, the bad guy, into the hand of a woman. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. When we hesitate... When we do not have instantaneous obedience, when we compromise, when we, to some degree, there's, there's a loss of blessing there. Y'all know that? What God really wanted, likely, was Barak to go, absolutely, I'll do whatever the Lord asks me to do. I'm all in. But he didn't do that. And he lost a little bit of the blessing. Now, don't get me wrong. God has grace. Barak still gets in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. 
And so obviously you're allowed to be a little bit wimpy and God still thinks you're cool. Right? That's the hope for me, right? You know what I'm saying? Okay, yeah, we got some amens out there. All right, good. Praise God. It's the only way we're getting in the Hall of Faith, I'll tell you that. Now, let me just paraphrase uh, 11 through 16. I'm just going to jump around here a little bit. You can just listen. Now, Heber the Kenite, the descendant of the father-in-law of Moses, had pitched his tent far away near Kadesh. And you go, what does that have to do with it? Well, there's a random dude who is related to the Israelites, and they have kind of an agreement, a treaty, because they're family, but he works with iron. That's what the Kenites do. They're iron workers. Well... If the bad guys took away all the weapons from the Israelites, you don't have any jobs. So he moves out towards the edge of Israel's territory where he can get a bunch of jobs with Iron Chariot guy. Does that make sense? So he's kind of playing Switzerland like, I'm cool with you, I'm cool with you, right? So he moved his tent way out here and he's going to come into play a little bit later. So let's go back to our story, verse 12. When Sisera, the bad guy, was told that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, verse 13, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him. Jump to verse 14. And Deborah said to Barak, you got to go. Get up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went. Verse 15, and the Lord routed, he beat down, he shut down Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. Now, you find out later, God brought in an earthquake, God brought in the rain and storms and shut down the chariots and got them jammed up, and God waged the warfare. But notice the rest of that verse, and Sisera got down from his chariot, And he fled away on foot. Verse 16. And Barak pursued the chariots of the army. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. All right. So, heavy beat down from God. Bad guys lose. Main bad guy takes off running. That's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 17. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite little Switzerland guy, right? For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael, in case you're wondering, you go, oh, that's a beautiful name. I think I'm going to name my daughter that. It means mountain goat, just so you know. (coughs) Okay? Because she'll find out. And she's going to come back to you. All right, anyway. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into her tent and she covered him with a rug for hiding and warmth. The guy's soaked and he's like a little drowned rat. He's been running, running, running. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? You got to tell him no. All right, let's pause right there. This guy's violating all kinds of stuff. First of all, he ran away in battle. That's not cool. Second of all, he goes running, looks for somebody that is neutral. He sees the tent, runs up to it, and there's a woman home alone. He goes into her house. In that culture, no bueno. 
<laughs> right? You don't do that. Unless you're her husband, you're not going into that tent. So he's like, whatever, if I go in there, no one else is going to come in there. It's a perfect place to hide. So he goes in and he's like, oh, so cold. And she's like, oh, I totally understand. And then she's like, here's some milk. Here's a rug. Go to sleep. Right. And she's, you know, and he's and he lays down and you're like, oh, she's so nice. I, I would let her babysit my children. <laughs> Next line. Verse 21. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg, took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Yeah, that's what happens when you drive a nail through a dude's head. Don't worry, buddy. You're all good. Just take a little nappy poo. Wham! Right? And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg still in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. All right. <laughs> man, these, these ladies are tough. <laughs> right? So she's like, hey, you remember that guy that you were afraid to go fight? Yeah, I killed him in my tent. That's what just happened. So who gets the glory and all this? You know, everybody remembers her. She's the one that killed the bad guy. It wasn't Barack, you know, and all this. Okay, look at the next line. This is, this is hilarious. And it's only hilarious in my mind. Here we go. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 1. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, they sang. What a creepy song. <laughs> Here's kind of how it goes. Hey, Barack. Yes, Deborah. I have a song to sing. Well, so do I. Right? And all of a sudden, together, everyone, like, lines up behind them, right? It's like a musical where you're always going, how does everyone know the song? And how do they know the dance moves, right? I have a little song to sing called Driving a Temple, uh, Driving a Peg into a Man's Temple. And he's like, oh, I love that one. It's one of my favorites. How about you start? <laughs> All right. The contents of the song go something like this. God is awesome. Enemy's dead. La, 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 la. (laughs) And the land had rest for 40 years. Wow. The land had rest for 40 years, a generation. Because two women stepped up and got it done. Mm. Now, I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Right? I get asked this a lot and ask Pastor Lance. I have a lot of dialogues about it, a lot of questions. What's the deal with women in leadership in the church? Right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that a question? It's increasingly more and more and more of a question. The younger generations are rising up, and they're not cool with your answer anymore. Where your answer goes, well, that's just the way we've always done it. Oh, is it now? Their question, if their hearts are right, is, yeah, but is that what God said? You understand what I mean? So what I want to ask you is, how is the church looking at women in leadership and is it biblical? And, and, and you go, well, I didn't even know there was there was an issue. Well, wherever you go to church, there's very different cultures. I mean, you could go to one culture and they would kind of view it this way. One church culture and it looks like this and one church it looks like this. Well, 
All I'm saying is that the church does not tend to look a whole lot like society. Let me give you an example. So on my ballot that's for this upcoming election, I have five people to choose for president. Three of them are women. Two are men. The majority of all options for the president of the United States are female, not male. Now, that's the first time that's ever happened in society that I can remember. And you're like, is this a ploy for Hillary for president? Okay, no, this is not. Everyone's like, I don't understand where you're going with it. Okay, I'm not going anywhere with this. I'm pointing out that in society, they're cool with a woman leading at the highest level of the entire country. And then they'll look back and they'll go, that's interesting. I don't see a ton of women senior pastors. So what's going on there? It's obviously going to bring up a question in their minds. So what is going on with women in leadership? So I would like to just dive into that. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm going to present out the issues and let you know that you need to know what you believe. Because I'll tell you this, there is no one within the sound of my voice that should be cool not thinking through the issue and knowing why you believe what you believe. You've got to talk to God about it. You've got to search scripture about it. You have to be able to know peacefully in your heart that you believe what is right. So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of go through a few things. What it cannot be, I'm not even giving you this one as an option. I got three options. This ain't an option. What it cannot be is just simply old school thinking about women. That's not okay. I just got to tell you that right off the bat. If, if your thing is like, well, it's kind of a, it's a man's club and blah, like if that's your attitude, I just need to let you know right now, that's not a good idea. Okay. I th- think that's dishonoring to the daughters of the Lord and we need to own up to how we treat his kids. Right. Okay. So. What I want to say is, what then does the Bible say? We do not allow society to tell us what is right. We allow God to tell us what's right. So you go, well, so what does the Bible say? The Bible gives you at least three options, and all of them can be argued scripturally. So for anyone that ever comes up to me and they go, well, I just do what the Bible says. Oh, do you now? And what might that be? Because I'll tell you right now, I can argue all three points, and I will win. Okay, and they're all different. So, so let's just kind of go through them really quick. Uh, view number one. View number one. Once again, I'm not telling you you're wrong if you view this. We believe in unity and having differences of opinion. I just want you to know what you believe. View number one. This is a common view in many churches. Women are not to hold positions of authority or teaching in the church because of God's design. In other words, it's not about capability, it's about design. You go, well, where in the world would they come up with that? Well, actually, you can blame Paul the Apostle. Here we go. It says this in uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14. He said, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first... Then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Whoa, that's brutal. Like, well, he was, he came out of the oven first, right? And you're like, what? Oh, and by the way, he didn't eat the fruit. 
she did. Okay, so Paul goes back to something way at the beginning and says, because of the design elements that God placed in, and that's where you get the ideas of the weaker vessel and things like that. When God put his design into humanity, when he made man and woman, he made them differently and put them in a particular order. Now, what this tends to lead to, if this is your view, is that there is very little leadership for women outside of leading other women and children. So if you ever go to a church and you go, well, that's interesting. There are no women leaders in this church, except for watching over the kids and, and leading other women. If you go into a church that has that view, that's where it comes from, because they're trying to adhere to what they see as most clear in Scripture. Make sense? All right. View number two. Women are limited in authority in church due to role and function. What does that mean? It means that when God designed it out, it has nothing once again to do with capability. It has to do with what function are you supposed to do. For example, Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I am the Son of God. It doesn't mean Jesus is any less than the Father. It means that he has a role to fulfill. And when he fulfills his role, he aligns up in a certain way. You know, when we talk about the father is the head of the household or the husband is the head of the household, is the church supposed to function like a family where because of role and function, the men have to take a certain lead. They don't do everything. Women have tons of leadership opportunities, but there's limitations in senior leadership and in teaching roles. If you ever see that in a church, that's where their view comes from. The view is it's not a matter of capability. It's a matter of role and function. We all tracking on this. All right. Number three, view number three, women are unlimited In all areas of the church, they can be senior pastors, they can do anything they want, they can teach at any point that they want, from anywhere they want. And you'd say, whoa, 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 so where did they get that? Well, all of a sudden you start seeing this viewpoint come out. When Jesus came, he came to redo the curse. He came in and said, I'm making you back like Adam and Eve was, who he made both male and female in his image. He both... He gave them both responsibilities to manage the garden. And yeah, you're right. Due to the curse, women have been mistreated. That doesn't mean that's Jesus' favorite. When he started his new covenant, he said there is now neither what? Male nor female. And in my world, he said, they're all the same. We're all jars of clay. It is the Holy Spirit that does it. So who cares whether your jar is male or your jar is female? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Okay. So everybody see that there's very clear reasons for every view. And all of them can be logical. All of them can be argued. What I need you to do is go back through and study for yourself to show yourself approved to know why you view the way that you do. I want to tell you also this. I walk very carefully in this area because of my personal experience and because of the fact that I serve in a church upon a board. Y'all understand that this is not a church where I I get to do everything I want to do. I think it'd be more awesome if I could. I'm just just screwing around. 
on on our given board at any given era, we've talked about this issue since the beginning. I'm almost here now, 20 years. We've talked about this issue, and and you have to understand, there's differing opinions. But I want to tell you, this is the heart of Bridgeway. What does God say, and how do we empower every single person to do everything that God has asked them to do? I need you to know that the hearts of your elders have always been, we do not want any limitations on anyone that are unnecessary. That our hearts are always, we listen to the Lord, we listen to the Lord, we listen to the Lord, we search scripture and we talk about it. That is the board that serves you. Now I walk carefully because it doesn't always line up exactly for every elder on what the church believes. You understand what I'm saying? So I have to be careful that I'm not running a Lance show. Oh, well, I'm going to tell only my opinion and blah, blah, blah. But I do think it's important for you to understand one piece about my story. My story is that I've always been surrounded by women. A lot of you know that. A lot of you know that I pattern my spiritual life after my mom. That my mom has always been my spiritual role model. I've always trained after her and known her. She's always spoken into my life in that way. I've always had ladies, all my bosses before I ever got in a church, all my bosses were all women. I never had a male boss. And so I've always had a female assistants. I've always had uh, admins, people that tell me what to do on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> and then I married a woman and had two girls. So anyway, <clears throat> so I, I just need you to understand that in my world, Women have always spoken into my life. Women have always instructed me and guided me and directed me. And I've been tremendously blessed through the ministry of the Holy Spirit through women. And so I I need you to know that my heart tends to lean that way where I'm always talking about the value of women. It's a big deal to me. All right. Um, So here's what I want to say as we wrap up. Because I like I said, I'm not here to tell you what to think. What I need you to do is be encouraged. And now I want to talk to all the ladies for a moment. The question should never be, what can I do, but what should I do? And there, here's the difference. Can implies capability. I'm here to tell you and to renew your identity in Christ that you are a daughter of the King. That means you are gifted, you are empowered. The same Holy Spirit dwells in you that dwells in any man. That there is no difference in the power and the authority that God can wage through you. I need every woman that if you have ever heard society say, well, you can't do this, you're simply a woman. I think that's garbage. I think that's a lie from the enemy. I think that God has given both his sons and his daughters his presence and his power. I think that there's just as many spiritual gifts for women. I think there is just as many callings for women. I think that there is empowerment all the way across the board. I need you to know that you can do everything. Amen. Amen. 
Now, whether or not you have a biblical view that says that you should not step into this role because of the glory of God, I appreciate that. If you say, I should not do this particular function because it's in honor of whatever, that's fine. And I will always respect you for that. But I do not want you to ever think that Jesus put a ceiling on you. I don't want you to ever think that being a woman somehow has stolen from you or limits you. That is incorrect. God empowers his daughters. Yeah? Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Here's what I would like to do as we close. We have Deborahs in the house. Right? I mean, we have mighty women leaders in this place. We have gifted women that are prophetic. We have all kinds of JLs in this place that are brave and strong and courageous. But I will never let watch my children. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just telling you, there's two groups that I would love to come up for prayer today. One of them is you ladies who have ever had a distortion in your identity that God has said, I mean, that the world has said to you that being a woman means less. I don't think that's right. And maybe you need to be renewed. We're going to pray that this team is anointed, that whoever you go up to, they can pray a blessing over you. They can pray encouragement into your spirit and they can raise you back up to the place that your heavenly father designed you to live. The second group that I would love to come up for prayer is there are some gentlemen in this place that there's been a conviction in your spirit through this message. And the conviction is you're not thinking of women rightly. You're looking at them somewhat different. I don't know what it is. It could be on this side. It could be on that side. It could be that you do not yet appreciate fully the power that God moves through women. And somehow you've demoted them in your mind I don't think that's okay, but what I'm asking is that there's a reason why you think the way you think and we need renewal. If that is you and you need to come up for prayer, I want you to do that because we're going to pray that this team is able to release and set you free from that so that you would be able to look at your siblings, no matter what their gender is, with absolute respect, right? Let's go ahead and pray for today. Heavenly Father, we lift this subject up to you that, Lord, it is complicated. It is multifaceted. The enemy has used it to divide for millennia. I pray right now, Father, that you would bring truth and clarity and guidance. That, Holy Spirit, you would fill this place. And everyone that hears my voice, everyone that watches online or has any type of access, that, God, you would use this time as a beautiful time of renewal, a beautiful time to raise up the hearts of the young women, raise up the hearts of the mature women, to know, Lord, that they are precious in your sight, that they are mighty in your sight, that they are strong in your sight. That, God, I pray that you would renew the minds of us men in this room, us young men, us mature men, Lord, that we might be able to see your daughters as you see them, that we would have respect and honor, and that we would know that they are mighty in your sight. Oh, God, I pray for unity among our body. I pray for clarity among our body. I pray, Lord, that all of us would be renewed in our identity and we would be fully functioning in exactly the way you made us. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day.